If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So here we are then. The end of the 2023 Eurovision season is here. So for one final time, it's time for the Eurotrip. As Jono Lassandro always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job. It's part of me. Giannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. I remember! So Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) I was going to say, your beautiful face. (laughs) I was like, But it is beautiful as well though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadol. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast, with me, Rob. Me, James. And today, in our series finale, we will be looking back at the 2023 Eurovision season. James, I can't quite believe it, but it's here. After months and months and months, it's time to say goodbye ahead of a little break ahead of the 2024 season. Yeah, I should say, a moment ago, I said, for one final time, it's time for the Eurotrip. One final time in this season. We will be back again later in the year, rest assured. But yeah, can you believe we're finally at the end? It feels like, what, two minutes ago, doesn't it, since we got the first song confirmed, since Liverpool was confirmed as the, the host city for this year's contest. And it's just all gone in the blink of an eye. So it only seems right today, Rob, that we take a minute to pause, look back at the season and uh, share some of our favourite moments as well. 
Yeah, we've got so much to celebrate because it has been a brilliant year here on the podcast, here on the Euro Trip, and it's been a brilliant year because of you. I'm sure we'll thank you again over the course of this episode, but thank you so much for listening over the last few months and even longer than that, the last few years if you've been here for longer than that. So thank you so much. It's always a joy to know that you're here listening along. But yeah, we're going to celebrate by looking back at some of our personal best bits from the last 12 months here on the podcast. They include some of the brilliant artists who have joined us, some of the fun trips that me and James have had, and plenty more besides as well. Yeah, so much to look back on. Hopefully you've got some of your favourite moments as well. You'll have to let us know what some of your highlights of the last year have been, whether it's Eurovision related or Eurotrip related. We'd love to hear. And as well, we've got a very old podcast friend to join us for a little bit of a chat too. He's not old, I just mean he hasn't been on for a long time. (laughs) But it's brilliant to have him back on the pod. We're going to find out who that is in just a sec. But you're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's time for the Euro Trip. Yes, here we are then, the final episode of the 2023 season. Somehow, uh, we've come round to this episode already. It just feels like two minutes ago, Rob, um, that we were starting things up with a contest and me and rewind uh, in the autumn. But yeah, here we are, the final episode. Uh, but it means we can be joined by a very special guest we mentioned before, somebody who hasn't been on the podcast in a very long time. Technically, he's a rival, but he's still a friend. Steve Holden from the official <laughs> Eurovision Song Contest podcast. Hi, Steve. Hi, boys. There's no rivals in Eurovision land. We're all in one big family. Of course we, we certainly are. are. Of course. It's great to have you back as well. Yeah, thank you for having me, lads. And like, it's been a while. Um, I think I did the contest of me last time with you. So we're kind of bookending this season, really, aren't we? 100%. Yeah, that's true, actually. Technically, you were on the very first episode of the 2023 season and the very last. So <laughs> there's a nice bit of synergy there. I mean, Steve, there's a very good reason that you've not been on at any other point. As we said, host of the official Eurovision Song Contest podcast, which means you're a very, 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 very busy person. So how was the last, well, 12 months? Do we want to say 12 months, 10, 11, however much it's been been for you? Well, I think I did the first episode in October time and then it really ramped up over the last couple of months, as you know. And just like you guys, the last couple of weeks, especially in Liverpool, were just a absolute brilliant blur. I got very, very little sleep, as lots of people who work at Eurovision do or don't get sleep, rather. Um, but it but it felt a really special year. And I've said this before, but I really feel that Liverpool set a new benchmark in how cities do Eurovision, not just the show, which was brilliant, not just the songs, which were brilliant, but just the whole city embracing it with everything that was going on. I unfortunately didn't have too much time to, to go and see everything because I was in the, I lived in the arena for, for a couple of weeks, but um, just the vibe from everybody who visited said that this was a really special year and I, I don't know if you felt that too but I just felt it was a it was a 10 out of 10 contest yeah no absolutely at Du's Poir uh, contest we should probably say instead of 10 out of 10 sorry oh yeah we should yeah <laughs> uh, do you think we will talk about just the season overall in a second but do you think in terms of you know the perception of Eurovision in the UK has sort of turned a corner you know despite May Muller's result of you know 25th out of 26 but just the you know the the full circus that was in town in Liverpool the you know the record viewing figures do you think Liverpool has sort of turned a page in Eurovision in the UK too? Um, I think so. I think the the biggest evidence of that is the chart last week, the official chart with four um, entries 
four Eurovision entries in the top 10 for the first time ever. As a long-time Eurovision fan, that is so amazing to see. And May Muller being one of those. Proof that if we're following on from the Rosa Ling, the Rosa Lynn uh, model last year, you don't have to place in the top 10 to have a hit at Eurovision. It's a showcase. And yes, I know it's a contest and somebody has to win, but it is a showcase of incredible songs. And for the most part, I think people would agree that the quality of those performances, of those songs was, was on another level this year. And just to see those four songs in the UK chart uh, was, was amazing. And for Lorene to be number two, when beating her last position with Euphoria, which was number three in the UK official chart. Uh, so just, I, I just think that is the, the proof that something hit the mark this year and something connected. James, you mentioned it before there. We are going to look back at the, the full season. Me and you will go through some of our, our, our best bits, in inverted commas. You can decide what they're best bits when you listen <laughs> later on, a little bit later. But uh, Steve, we'll talk about the 2023 season in full with you. But I do want to focus on grand final night so that Saturday night you know people will have heard everything that you've done on the official Eurovision podcast where you kind of round up all the action you speak to all of the big players and all of the you know all of the, the stars of the show really including of course Loreen the, the winner what was Saturday night like for you I say Saturday night I mean Sunday morning don't I really after the grand final yeah so the actual day was quite quiet um, because all I had to do that day was get the winner. That's all. That's all I had to do, um, and so and and help out whenever what what was needed. But my up my aim was I had to get the winner, and I found out later in the day that I was going to do the first interview with Lorene on stage after her winner's performance. I wasn't expecting that, and it was amazing to know that that was coming up, but also quite nerve wracking because it was the interview that. Uh, continued the feed for the EBU. So the Eurovision is on the Eurovision contest. The contest is on the EBU feed and it keeps going after the show's finished. And then historically someone does the first interview as soon as she's finished on that feed. So I knew that was happening. So for the contest, I was sat in the delegation bubble watching it with my colleagues in the digital team. Um, Funnily enough, we were sat next to a couple of the German delegation. So obviously when the points were coming in, that was a bit orcs because they came last, uh, but that's for another day. And then uh, when the public votes started coming in, I had to kind of get ready and get myself into position with other members of the team who were going to be on stage because there's this schedule that the winner has to go through on stage after they finish. But I was at the top um, and so I was, I was by the side of the stage, had to like weave my way through the props room onto the top of the stage on the left, then had to go down some steps around the corner to where the acts come onto the stage. The glitter's going off. She's performing tattoo. And then uh, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, oh, we need to go now. Let's go up. So then we all went up onto the stage. The stadium starts clearing out and then we kind of get into position. There's a steady cam ready to interview her. And she's at the back of the stage and all of us are at the, on the satellite stage, they call it. So the front, the, the front circle bit. And then she starts walking towards us. And then it was suddenly, right, here we go into interview mode, get the microphone out, uh, say hi, Lorene. And luckily 
I've interviewed her a couple of times. So she knew who I was. It wasn't a surprise. And I told the Swedish delegation as well. I was like, this is what's going to happen. And she was just in total shock and she had the trophy and uh, we did the interview. And I can't really remember what I said at the time. Obviously, I did when I edited it later on. But at the time, it was just it was an out of body experience because somebody who's watched the contest for so long um, and been around it for so long, I've never been in that position. But she was great and she gave me really good answers, really long answers. It didn't feel rushed because I felt everybody around me, you know, they want their turn because then she has to have her photo taken, the social media to do. There's more interviews to do. Um, and, And she was she was lovely. I just felt myself really, it was so hot and I felt really sweaty and I felt like this beads of sweat, like running down the side of my head. I have no hair, so there's nowhere for it to go. And I just was really conscious as I was, as I was chatting to her, I could just feel this sweat on one side of my head. Um, but it was great. And I listened back and it just sounded absolutely fine, but the adrenaline was rushing through. I don't know how she must've felt, you know, having just won and for the second time and having performed and everything. Um, but it was certainly the, the highlight I would say of my whole two weeks there. Um, and then I finished and then dashed off stage and went to, to edit or no, actually what I had to do, I had to wait for the interview to come through on email a bit later on. So it was a bit of a waiting game. And then I edited it, turned it around, and then it was up. Um, but yeah, what a moment. Um, and, and I hope she enjoyed it, but maybe she probably didn't remember it because it was all a bit of a haze, <laughs> you know? At what time was bedtime, Steve? So I went to sleep at four. I think I got to about three. I'd finished editing um, and then was just a bit tired and went back to the hotel, chatted with my colleagues. Um, we kind of, you know, you have the same thing. You'd work so hard for two weeks and then it's all over essentially in a, in a, in a, in a snap. Um, and so I went to bed about four. So I, I didn't feel too bad the next day cause I didn't go out dancing or didn't go to any after party or anything like that. Just, um, went to bed. And then kind of, that was it. The, the sun sets on, <laughs> on Eurovision 2023 as quickly as it, as it comes about, which is, which is incredible really, isn't it? Yeah, well, the sad thing is the next day, the uh, construction workers and workmen are tearing down all the branding at eight o'clock. So by mid-morning, it's like it never existed. There's no signs of it. It's all it's, all the United by Music posters, all the fence logos, all taken off, uh, ready for whatever is going to go into the arena next. It's like as soon as the grand final finishes, uh, it didn't exist um, in, in, in phys- physically in the arena you know uh, but that's the way it goes i want to know where all the props go steve you were in the prop room where do all those props go oh i don't know but the prop prop room was amazing that was one of my favorite bits um i went there on the first day before i'd seen all the staging and what i like to do is go to the props and try and work out whose prop is who so um Obviously, with some of you know, you know, like the buskers is the buskers because it says the busker on it from Malta. But others are, you know, strange frames. There was a, a trampoline, obviously, in the in there on the first day. And I was like, who's got a trampoline? And I was trying to match it. And then people say, oh, you know, that's Italy's. Italy has the trampoline. That's Noah Carell's tunnel. Um, we obviously knew what Luke Black's 
lotus flower was because it's pretty obvious um but yeah it's quite and then, and then obviously in the prop store all of the interval act props are there as well so there's the field of wheat there was the drums that i think were used with i'm trying to think who they were used with because they were being painted when i went in there um but it's it, it, it's quite fun like mixing and matching and actually watching the props come off stage and go back on stage at speed is is terrifying because you just don't want to be in the way when all these massive frames are like coming down the ramp into the prop store but it is cool how they line them up and get everything ready and also interestingly you know everyone will know this but as the points are coming in they obviously have to look at who might be winning or who might be coming near the top and they have to get those props ready so they don't know who's going to win but they have to have an idea of who, you know, after the, the jury final points come in and Lorene's top, it makes sense for them to get the box near the front ready because more than likely she's going to do quite well and come in the top five if she's won the jury final. So it, it's just interesting, the dynamics backstage of how everything kind of worked together. It's the most well-oiled machine I've, I've ever seen. Um, and I'm in awe of everybody that works on it. Steve, you were giving us an idea before about, you know, what that last day looked like, that Saturday night into the Sunday morning. But if we can rewind like so many weeks or so many months to the beginning of your 2023 journey, where did it begin for you? And can you give us an idea of like those first few weeks where we're starting to get some songs and you're starting to think, oh, okay, I wonder, is 2023 going to be such a good year to what it turned out to be in the end? Yeah, well, it kind of started because I went traveling for a couple of uh, months last year. I went interrailing um, around Europe and I dropped in on some previous contestants. So it started actually with previous year because I met up with Constractor in Serbia, Malik Harris in Germany, um, Cesar Sampson in Austria and Stefania, who represented Greece but lives in the Netherlands. So that was the start of the journey. And then we did a little bit for Junior um, at the end of last year. But the first a uh, song confirmed was Gustav because of you, I believe if I'm not, no, no, sorry. It was a uh, Torchy heart of steel in December, but then the first act that we got on the podcast was Gustav the day after he won because of you. And, uh, and then they kind of came, came in quite thick and fast and it's quite easy at the beginning because you can kind of keep up with them. But then when super Saturday hits, you just know that you can't get everybody. And there comes a point where I just had to wait for Liverpool to, to interview the final ones. So the very final artist I interviewed was Lazara in Liverpool. So she was the one I had to wait the longest for. So it began with Gustav because of you. He was the first and Lazara uh, was number 37. But, um, but those months uh, from January to March to the song deadline, just like you and everyone listening, it's so exciting to see what comes out. You know, in, in Norway, I didn't know whether it was going to be Alessandra or Rika with Honestly. That was a really interesting one. Really wanted to know who was going to win that. I think with Sweden, I think everybody knew it was probably going to be Loreen. I don't think anybody else kind of came close in terms of predictions. Um, again, with Finland, I don't think anybody thought it would be anybody else than Karia at the time. Um, so, and, and also the, the, the one I found the most interesting was, was Unicorn by Noah Carell, because she was the only one, the only artist out of all 37 that hadn't performed it in full at all 
before she got to Liverpool. And she said on the podcast it was because she wanted to keep it a surprise. But that's quite unusual, isn't it? To like not have any hint of it. And it obviously paid off because she came third. And I remember watching it, the first rehearsal of that, going, wow, this is a production. Um, Because it's interesting at the pre-parties, you know, people like Wild Youth and Joker Out, um, are there like everyone and you hear their song every time. Blanca Paloma was at a lot of them, you know, uh, they perform their songs a lot. Whereas Noah kept her secret. Like she didn't even perform it at the Israel pre-party. Um, she made everybody wait until that second rehearsal clip came out. So it's quite interesting, the different strategies Eurovision contestants take really. And, and looking back, Steve, are there any conversations, any moments that will stay with you going forward looking back on the 2023 season I don't want to bring up you making Blanca Paloma cry but I am (laughs) making Blanca Paloma cry um yeah that was that was uh quite a special moment because that was part of um so we did a our first episode in Spanish so a guy called Victor Escudero who has worked in the Eurovision world for a long time he was the host of the Spanish episode but then the next morning I went and did um the English language episode with her and Blanca didn't speak much English so we were using Maria who was the head of media as the translator so it was the three of us in a triangle and I don't even remember what I don't even remember the question that, that I asked that made her cry but she got really really teary and upset because she said to via Maria the translator it was the first time somebody had asked her a question that made her realize just the enormity of what she was doing and what she was about to do and how proud she was to represent Spain so it was happy tears it I didn't make her sad um and and at the beginning, when when that started happening, I thought, oh God, what have I done here? But no, it was it was a very special moment, and you know she's a she's a lovely, lovely person. But there's been so many amazing conversations. Like the first interview I did with Caria was amazing. It was his first um, or one of his first English language episodes or English language interviews for Eurovision. And Yahani, who's the head of media, stayed on the call. And just helped him out in case he needed, you know, a little bit of help uh, with his translation or didn't quite understand the English. But he was brilliant and gave great answers about loving Rammstein and the dance and Lordy. And it was an interview that got picked up in the Finnish media because he hadn't done many interviews in English. And I think, you know, a lot of people who would have heard Carrier in interviews since like his English has improved so much and he's definitely one of the most charismatic people to chat to. You know, he just has this wonderful energy um, that makes him this, this superstar. So that was a, that was a, a favorite of mine and very quickly shout out to Chris from Lord of the Lost, the lead singer of the German entry. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the podcast was, ha- was him telling me, that he loves a Google spreadsheet because he <laughs> he said so. I, I interviewed him just before his band went on a tour of Latin America and South America, and he said everything is scheduled. And I love Google spreadsheets because I can see my entire schedule. Uh, everything is color coded. We know exactly what we're doing, uh, and I even schedule time for sleep because I know there's not much. And he said, and I realized this is the most German thing I could say. And I was like, yes, but we love it because I love a Google spreadsheet too. So that it was, it was, it was good fun. It was, it was really enjoyable getting a little uh, new detail out of each artist. I think, you know, it's uncovering those little gems 
um, from each of them. Because th- that, I think that's the thing about Eurovision. This is what, you know, you know so well and I know so well that it's not just that that three minutes on stage. There is six months of planning that goes on and every artist has a story you know, they have something going on in their personal life or they have a journey that they've made to get to that moment, which I find really interesting to to hear about. And I hope they enjoy talking about as well. So it's not just about the song. Like Noah Carell is studying psychology in, in her spare time. Uh, Dilia is a physiotherapist, you know, or it's like all these little things. Uh, the guys from the busker, their jobs are uh, in real life. Uh, one's, a chem- one's a pharmacist. One does marketing for insurance services. And Dave, the lead singer, is a podiatrist. And it's just <laughs> like, and I, I didn't know that until they said it in the interview. So, you know, characters, all of them. I'm so glad you've told us what the busker do in real life, because I think it was about two months ago, Rob, do you remember this? We were saying they've got such normal sounding names that they probably just have the most <laughs> normal jobs in the world. And clearly they do as well. well we, <laughs> they do. Well, they yeah, do. We said with their names, we were like, maybe they could be the bouncers outside the Euro club. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so pleased we know that now, Steve. So thank you. Well, when I interviewed, because I interviewed the busker twice and the first time they, we were talking about exercise and Dave the lead singer Dave Jr. was saying, "Oh, I, I I can't run very well because I've I've got a bad pelvic tilt." And I was like, "That's the first time I've ever heard a Eurovision artist talk about pelvic tilt." And then the next interview, he's a podiatrist, so obviously he knows everything about running. And he was like, "How do you run? Do you run on the uh, the ball of your feet, the sole of your feet? How do you do it?" And I mean, it was like you know, to some people it might have been boring, but I thought, no, this is the beauty of Eurovision. It's all the little the little details of these artists that make them kind of come alive you know I love it. Steve you're so right and we've been so lucky with so many incredible characters in this year's Eurovision season and the great thing about Eurovision is that we will have the same again not long to wait the 2024 season is kind of already in full swing given all of the talk about you know where's gonna host who's gonna host where's it gonna be etc but just looking ahead you know how much are you looking forward to a contest in Sweden in 2024? I mean they they know how to put one on Um, it's going to be 50 years since ABBA won. So are we going to get like a Liverpool songbook, but with ABBA songs and Eurovision stars, can they persuade all four members to appear on the stage together? Not necessarily to perform, but to, you know, with, with it being such a monumental moment, um, I wonder who will do, which country will do a Noah Carell and announce their artist very soon. Maybe they've already got somebody in the pipeline mentioned. Uh, it will be interesting to see who goes forward for Melfest as well, I would say, because, you know, is that going to be an artist who doesn't have any expectations of winning Eurovision and just wants to showcase themselves? Um, I, I think there's, and, and where it's going to be as well. You know, lots of people saying Stockholm, but is it Gothenburg's term? Will Malmo do it? Will it be somewhere completely different? You know, all these things that SVT are probably planning behind the scenes already. But I think in terms of of, of a Swedish contest, we know what to expect. Um, a good dose of humor, uh, professionalism, um, something spectacular. Uh, but now that Liverpool has done such a good job and the BBC and the EBU have done such a good job there, uh, it's it's going to be high expectations. Do you know what I mean? It's going to it's 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 going to have to really really knock our socks off. 
and Steve, have SVT been on the phone to Petra Merda as well? That's probably the biggest question on everyone's <laughs> lips right now, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know. I did hear, maybe I heard it through you guys, but she <laughs> works for a right. She works it for a rival, she rival TV company. So there will be some wrangling there. But, you know, um, Edward Afsillan, he was in Liverpool. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll have his hand in whatever's going on next year. The hosts, who will the hosts be? Could they convince Lorene to host maybe? Um, will it be, there's just so many questions, isn't there? But they've got, they, to, to coin a Swedish phrase, they, SVT have a smorgasbord of options, <laughs> don't they really? Um, very quickly, I just want to tell you a very funny story um, on that, that brings Eurovision the end of Eurovision come crashing back to, uh, uh, you know, to earth. We were on a coach, the EBU team back to London on the Sunday and we stopped at a random service station in the Midlands and we got off the coach and who do we see coming out of the services, but Lord of the Lost for Germany. (laughs) (laughs) And, Nothing says coming last at Eurovision than being than having to visit a random Midlands service station. <laughs> uh, but they were really friendly and they were in good spirits. And, you know, and I don't think anyone um, does Lord of the Lost Down because they were already a, a, a massive band. Uh, but it was just funny. Do you know what I mean? On the last day, oh, hi, oh, hi, bye. See your coach later. <laughs> uh, see you soon. Yeah, it's like one of my, you know, lasting memories of the entire season was that picture that emerged on social. Was it Boyan from uh, from Joker Out at Milton Keynes train station on his, <laughs> yeah. on his, on his way somewhere? The, the joys of having Eurovision here in the UK means we got so many of these hilarious uh, scenarios occurring. So hilarious. Steve, next time we hear from you, next time we hear from us here on the podcast, you know, whenever we come back for the start of the, the next uh, the next season, looking ahead to 2024, maybe we will have some of those answers to all of those questions that we've still got uh, to look ahead. But thank you so much for an incredible 2023, Steve. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all your hard work as well. And to all of the fan media doing an amazing job at the Eurovision Song Contest. It really is a a one of a kind of event. And when you're in that bubble, you know how special it is. And I really feel that just Liverpool was a really joyous occasion. And if we're taking a UK specific view, um, you know, I haven't felt that kind of joy and love since the Olympics in 2012, you know, where it did feel like a lot of people came together uh, to celebrate something amazing. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And thank you for all your hard work as well. It's been great. You're listening to the Euro Trip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. Great to have Steve back on the podcast as he crawls into his post-Eurovision cave like the rest of us to (laughs) to have a little bit of a break before ramping up for for 2024. Yeah, I didn't want to embarrass him when he was here, but, you know, we should say brilliant job he does over on the official Eurovision podcast. And, you know, you might think because it's the official Eurovision podcast, he's a massive team of people. He doesn't. It's mainly just Steve, to be honest with you. So testament to him and everything he does over on the official Eurovision podcast. So, Steve, keep up the good work. Hopefully you're doing it again in 2024. And it is brilliant to have you as part of the Eurovision community because uh, you do such brilliant work. James, very shortly, we're going to bring the listeners, you guys out there, some of our favourite bits from the 2023 Eurovision season, of which there are many. And to be honest, it was quite hard to uh, to limit ourselves. We've got three each to bring you very, very shortly. But now, can I bring you an email that we received in the week? I thought you'd like to have a listen. Yes, please. Yeah, go for it. 
Now, you may know the direction that this email is taking when I tell you that this email is from Mike in Helsinki. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, last week on the podcast, we were joined by Bella Kvist, and we were chatting all things Sweden and Lorene's victory, and we were mentioning Carrier as well, of course. We were chatting to uh, Mila, the journalist over in Helsinki, talking about you know, how disappointed the Finnish people are, but they're still very proud of Carrier. Well, anyway, Mike from Helsinki, Mike got in touch. Uh, he said, hi, love the podcast. Sad there's only one more episode to go, but already looking forward to next year. Mike, thank you very much. Uh, and this is said final episode of the season. As a massive Eurovision fan, along with my wife, and now our two children, who are 12 and 10, we love everything Eurovision. I'm originally from Wales, but I've lived half my life, 23 years, in Finland. I'm sorry to say that this is the first year that Eurovision has left a bad taste in my mouth. My Finnish wife, who is an even bigger Eurovision fan than me, is still promising to boycott next year's Abavision, as she is calling it. <laughs> we are certainly not going to vote next year, because what is the point in wasting our money? Thoughts thus far? I thought I'd like to hear the rest. <laughs> uh, it's quite long, so I'll paraphrase some of it. Uh, he said, there are lots of things I would love to go on and on about here, but that would turn into a 20-page essay. So here are a few brief points in reply to your latest podcast before I get to the main thing I want to say. Uh, so number one, the awful controversy that you constantly referenced of Finland giving no points to Sweden in the phone votes. So what? People can vote for whoever they like. Finnish people are not stupid. This is only the second time that Finland has ever had a chance of winning. The Finnish public knew that Lorene would be heavily favoured in the jury votes, and the only chance Finland had was to catch up in the phone votes. So yes, Finland vote tactically as is their right to do. Point number one. Oh, oh, that was just point number one. I thought you were going to paraphrase. Apologies. <laughs> so, sorry, that was point number one. Point number two. People have won the phone vote and lost before. Yes, this has happened, but never has someone won the phone vote by such a massive margin and still lost. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the second highest phone vote total after Ukraine last year? I think Mike's correct. And then finally, James, point number three. I say point number three. There is a final, final point after point number three. Uh, point number three, the judges' scores for Lorene were to be expected, but what really stinks is the seemingly deliberate low scoring of the two other most popular songs from the phone vote, Finland and Norway. 15 countries gave Finland zero points, with further five giving it one or three points. There is no way you can tell me that there were 10 better performances than Carrier. Mike goes on to say, I could also indulge in conspiracy theories about the head of the EBU and the chief of picking the judges being Swedish, but I won't. Now, finally, to my main point, the narrative for this year's Eurovision was set even before Melody Festival had finished. Lorene is performing, Lorene is going to win. That narrative never changed at any time because they gave the jury scores first and Sweden getting all the 12 points went into an unbeatable position. Now, Mike suggests a change to Eurovision, which is quite interesting. Uh, Mike says, imagine if they'd given the points the other way around. 18 times we would have seen Kalia getting 12 points and the whole crowd celebrating. Finland would have gone into the jury voting section with a lead of 133 points. We would have then seen that lead snatched away by the jury vote and there would have been a riot. Admittedly, a very camp riot, but a riot all the same. Uh, so Mike <laughs> effectively goes on to say, this is where things have to change. Why so much weight given to the jury votes by giving them first and individually from each country? Surely it'd be more interesting to give the audience votes by country and the jury votes collectively. I don't accept the excuse of timing when a computer could calculate them in seconds. Uh, he goes on to say, I agree with you. I think this is my suggestion that, that there should still be jury votes, but I don't think it should be 50-50, maybe 70-40 in favour of phone votes. Finally, oh, finally, more. I feel like I've been going through this email for about the last 
15 minutes. Uh, finally, in Finland, we all feel like Carrier is the real winner. It really stings that he and Finland didn't get their moment to celebrate and Eurovision 2024 isn't in Finland. Rant over and all the best to everyone involved with the podcast, Mike and Helsinki. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Do you know what? Isn't that just the joy of Eurovision, though? You know, Carrier is still a winner back home in Finland. Sometimes you agree with the winner. Sometimes you don't. It gets to create a bit of debate after the contest. You know, to me... Everyone's a winner. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Eurotrip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So this is The Eurotrip. We've just heard from Mike in Helsinki there in his email that he sent us earlier on in the week. If you want to send us an email, you are very welcome to at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram on social. But if you do want to send us an aforementioned email, hello at EurotripPodcast.com. Wanted to provide a little bit of balance because I appreciate we're doing a lot of Sweden on the podcast last week. So a bit of a Finnish perspective uh, there on the podcast. Right then, as promised, we said we were going to look at some of our highlights from the last 12 months here on the podcast, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Rob and I have chosen three of our standout memories uh, from the last uh, from the last year, and we're going to share them with you now. Rob, I think I'm going to go first, is that right? You are indeed, sir, going first, because as we've already said, what a year we've had, and uh, yeah, these are just some of the moments that we personally have enjoyed the most. Yes, so if we rewind ourselves uh, to summer last year, so it was August, we brought you the second series of The Contest and Me, where we have long-form conversations with well-known fans of the Eurovision Song Contest. Steve, who you just heard there, uh, was on that series. Uh, We had some brilliant guests. Make sure you go and listen back if you haven't listened to them all. But uh, the last guest we spoke to was Carrie Grant, here from the UK. Now... Not only has she represented the UK at Eurovision in the 1980s, but she's done absolutely everything else as well. She has she's been on the jury, she's given the points out, she's been involved in the national selections. Carrie has done it all, Rob. She certainly has. So, which bit of the conversation are you going to bring us now? I thought we'd uh, play the part where I was asking Carrie what her favourite Eurovision year was. We had set questions for all of the guests, and one of the questions was to find out their favourite ever Eurovision year. Now, it could have been for any reason whatsoever. So here is what happened when I put that question to Carrie Grant. Your favourite Eurovision year. Now, 
potentially your favourite Eurovision year is 1983, which I'll, I'll gladly let you have. But I wonder, because you've been involved in so many contests in various yeah. roles, are there any other years that sort of spring out when I ask that question? Yeah, I mean, I've judged the song for Europe with its many different titles um, two or three times judging. I've also been head judge of the jury for the UK and I've also had to read the scores back. You've done it all. You've done all of the the rules, surely. Yeah, except for writing a song. Maybe that's what I need to do. But yeah, I've done just done an awful lot of things for Eurovision. I have to say, reading back the scores is more more terrifying than actually representing the UK. Um, But I would say the highlight for me was, uh, apart from obviously representing, was the year that I was head judge, which was the year that Conchita won. So 2014 Um, we're looking at there in Copenhagen. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, Rise Like a Phoenix. Wow. That song is perfect. It's a perfect song with perfect production, with perfect vocals, which on the night had a perfect set with a perfect singer, with perfect outfit, with perfect voice, with perfect performance. There is, I can't, there is nothing that I can criticise about anything about that song or the performance of the singer. I'm gonna fly, yeah, like a phoenix, out of the ashes seeking rather than vengeance, retribution you Let's chat about that a bit more then, because I remember seeing and hearing that song for the first time, and I remember it being performed in the semi-final. And I remember a lot of discussion, especially online on Twitter at the time, people were looking at the song and listening to it thinking, nah, this, is, this isn't very good, this is rubbish. And then, yeah, on the grand final night, it just stormed the entire competition. So yeah. where were you then? Because I presume you don't actually go out to Copenhagen. Are you back in no. London when you're doing the, uh, doing <laughs> the jury sitting, job? Let me tell you, James, we are sitting in what is the equivalent of a large cupboard uh, in Elstree. Um, you know, you think, oh, great, I'm going to where they make Strictly Come Dancing and then they, they kind of take you around the back to some kind of glorified porter cabin. And you're, um, yeah, it was not a glamorous environment. And the thing that I remember about judging that night um, amongst the other judges, we weren't allowed to make eye contact. We weren't allowed to speak. We weren't allowed to move our bodies in ways that would show who we were supportive of. So wow. it was Strick, then, isn't it? just... really tense and you have people watching you so you have adjudicators watching the judges to make sure that they abide by the rules uh, which you know is just fabulous if only all of our voting in the UK and the world in other (laughs) spheres was was that stringent honestly it was crazy Um, and so I remember for me anyway Conchita from the get-go I heard the performance um my main memory of it was really on the night, just thinking there's nothing that is going to beat that. It's staggering 
And this is why I love the contest in me. We speak to so many brilliant people and they share so many fantastic stories and memories of their relationship with Eurovision and why they love Eurovision as well. And it is brilliant to hear from people like Carrie. And maybe you're sitting at home wondering, do the guests enjoy these conversations just as much as Rob and James do? Well, I can tell you for a fine fact, yes, they do. Well, Carrie did at least because she's a presenter on uh, on BBC London uh, here in the UK. She presents it with her husband, David, on, on weekend mornings. And uh, the, the Saturday after this conversation, uh, they were asking each other, what was the highlight of the week? Well, Rob, Carrie said the highlight of her week was our conversation on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a low bar. It had been a very, very, very dull week for Carrie, clearly. That is so nice to hear, isn't it? But no, absolutely. We mentioned it as well earlier. Please do go back and listen to our previous two series of The Contest and Me, where we've been chatting to some absolutely fantastic people about their love for the Eurovision Song Contest. And The Contest and Me will return in summer. 2023 so not long to wait i say not long i mean we'll have a break for a couple of months but yeah i reckon august time keep an eye on your podcast feeds when the contest and me will return now then rob your first choice you want your highlights from the last year here on the pod well i always like to bring down our level of sophistication so (laughs) that's exactly what i'm doing now i'm taking you to early 2023 and a conversation that i had with the at the time norwegian hopeful the Melody Grand Prix, Ulrika. Now, of course, she was going to represent Norway at Eurovision in 2020 before the contest was cancelled. She tried her luck again earlier on this year. Steve Holden mentioned that, you know, she was a big contender in Norway before Alessandra eventually, of course, uh, took the crown and represented Norway in Liverpool. But I had been doing some research before my interview with Ulrika and I had a little look at her Instagram stories And I was fascinated by what I thought she may have had for breakfast, either that day or the previous morning. So I thought I'd bring it up with her very early on in the conversation. So this is how my interview with Ulrika from Norway started here on the pod. So Ulrika, welcome to the Euro trip. It's brilliant to have you. Hi, so amazing to be here. Now, I want to start this interview, hopefully, unlike anyone else has started any of their interviews with you so far because this is just what I've learned about you in the last 24 hours or so from your Instagram story. Oh oh now I'm so excited. (laughs) So my first question is what did you have for breakfast because it looked incredible if it is what you had for breakfast it looked like a big breakfast. Breakfast? You were with Christopher your manager or was it dinner? Oh no it was last <laughs> I did not have a kebab for breakfast. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't work out whether or not it was a kebab or what it was. And if you'd had had it for breakfast, you would have been my favourite person ever. I should have had it for breakfast. <laughs> no, I just I just didn't repost his story until this morning because I was so tired yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so we've 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 got that. We've learned that you had a kebab for dinner last night, not oh, for breakfast. It was so good. <laughs> What 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 do you have on your kebab? This is the important question. Do you have all the sauces as well? Yes, and I have a lot of cheese. Feta cheese and regular cheese. Oh, I oh, love cheese. Perfect. I'm just hungry now. I'm just hungry now. Yeah. Okay, so the second thing, the second thing I want to know from your Instagram story, uh, the dog that you posted on your Instagram story, is that your dog? 
It's my dog. Her name is Onyx. Onyx, what a brilliant name. How long yeah. have you had her for? Uh, I've had her for three years. I got her uh, during COVID uh, and she was already four years old because I just posted on my Instagram story because everything, we were, we were in lockdown and everything was so sad. <laughs> I just sang. Uh, we have a Norwegian song. It's like, I want a dog. It's a song that you think that and someone just replied we have a dog you can borrow <laughs> and I was like I'll take her but I, I was supposed to have her for like a few days and I still have her <laughs> well I just things are obviously going well between the two of you <laughs> yeah yeah I just love that dog so I was like I'm not giving her back you just need to give her to me it's my dog now <laughs> Do you know what? I don't even care how silly that sounds or how fun it was. You know, sometimes it's great to humanize these people a little bit because sometimes we think that these huge stars and they live in totally different worlds. And yet you can just bring it straight back down to earth with a with a kebab for breakfast. I can almost guarantee that no other Eurovision podcast, whether it's Steve on the official pod or any others anywhere, or indeed any journalists of Asked Ulrika in 2023, <laughs> have you had a kebab for breakfast? So very proud to have had that honour of, uh, of asking. Right, I'm going to bring you my next highlight, and we are going to go back to last autumn, when we brought you something new. We hadn't brought you this on the podcast beforehand, which was rewind now this was a special series where each week we looked back at a certain edition of the eurovision song contest we looked back at 1980 we looked back at 2004 for example but one of them was 1993 now this was an unusual contest in itself because it was being held in mill street in ireland basically the middle of nowhere go, go back and listen to that full episode to find out a bit more about that we managed to speak to neve kavanagh who was the eventual winner as well as fanula sweeney who presented the show that year but as well i managed to catch up with fazla now he was representing bosnia that year in fact the first time that bosnia was taking part in the competition and his story just to get to mill street just to get to the eurovision song contest is a story like no other. We we released this as a feature-length interview as well, a couple of days after Rewind 1993. And here's a little segment of our conversation. What was it like when you when you got to Ireland for the first time to, to go and compete? I, I think we, you met off the plane by Neve Kavanagh, the, the Irish representative in, in that in that year. What was that like when, when she met you off the plane? It was kind of an embarrassing moment for me. I don't know if I ever said this before i didn't know who she was <laughs> i didn't know who she was seriously because we were under siege i mean you know, for more than two years i couldn't follow anything we didn't have electricity didn't have food didn't have water and last i mean you know think on my mind was i mean you know to follow pop scene pop scene in ireland or in, in great britain so for for a moment i thought she was like a fan who was giving me uh flowers and we needed to take a picture <laughs> Shortly after I learned who was she, and fortunately she won. I mean, we had a great relationship, uh, and I really appreciate her kindness and everything else. But basically, when we came to Ireland, uh, we had a little bit different mission. We knew, since we didn't have televoting at the time, that voting probably most likely is going to be political, that nobody is going to allow Bosnia to win that uh, competition because we couldn't be, we were not able to host, I mean, you know, very the same competition because whole Bosnia was in flame. So our job was just to bring our story to the, like I said before, to the to the to the living rooms of the ordinary people, 
so they know what's going on in Bosnia, real truth. And I think we were very successful because we had such a huge media attention. And we were able to articulate basically why did we come there uh, and what is our mission and what our song represents. At the same time, we didn't look for a pity. We didn't look for charity. We didn't look, I mean, you know, for a, for to, to, to create sorrow or something like that. We wanted to be professional every step of the way. And I think the best satisfaction was that we won basically Grand Prix for the best dressed. Everybody expected we were going to show up in military uniforms, you know, with the, with the, with the painted faces. But we decided, no, we're going to be professional. So we're going to do like everything is okay in our country. I remember reading from a, a BBC producer uh, at the time, Stanley Appel, I think his name was, and he said one of the standout memories for him was that the he said the Bosnian entry were immaculately dressed. Where, where did he get the suits and the, and the dresses from? When we get to Zagreb, I had a friend. Uh, her name was Janissa Medvedic, who is a fashion designer. And I asked her to put together for us the best possible outfit. So... She did immaculate job, like your colleague said. And uh, at the time, we were young. I mean, you know, then also, we were very uh, fit and slim since we didn't eat anything in Bosnia like for over the year. I lost about 50 pounds during the war. Wow. Usually, I'm between 200 pounds and 220. During the Eurovision Song Contest, I had 150. For the guy who is 6'3", who is 6'4", tall, I mean, you know, that's... that's uh, not the best way that, but it was, it looked good on a TV and looked good in a fashion magazine. <laughs> For me, I think Fazla is one of the most incredible people to ever have participated in the Eurovision Song Contest. You know, you've got the backstory, James, that you told us a little bit about there, and obviously you were speaking to Fazla about as well. Given the war was still happening in his country and the the journey that he had to take to get to Mill Street and, and then the reaction that Bosnia got and the applause when he took to the stage and when we were able to cross to Sarajevo and Bosnia were able to give their points for the very, very first time. But has to go down in Eurovision history is one of the most incredible stories in the in the history of the contest. Yeah, it certainly does. And that was one of the interviews I was always looking forward to do. I was always looking for the right reason to to reach out to Fazler and see if he was willing to speak to us here on the pod. And I just thought it was the right time when we were doing that series. So if you haven't listened to it in full, go back. It was in the autumn last year. So make sure you go and give that one a listen. Now, talking of historic people and historic moments in the history of the Eurovision Song Contest, well, safe to say that there is one very historic individual if I can put it that way, that comes out of Eurovision in 2023. That is, of course, the winner, Loreen, the first woman to win the Eurovision Song Contest twice, only the second person ever to win the Eurovision Song Contest twice after Johnny Logan. And we finally got Loreen on the podcast this year. We have been wanting to have Loreen on the pod for a very, very long time. But of course, her participating in Eurovision and in Melody Festival, and of course, earlier on in the year, gave us the perfect reason to chat to her. Now, I, after months and months of emails back and forth, finally managed to secure one of the only interviews that Loreen did before her participation in Melody Festival and in Sweden selection earlier on this year. And she joined me from a cafe. I think it may have been a Starbucks. <laughs> she was having what I assume was a green tea, because that 
seems like a very Lorene drink to be having. And we had a brilliant conversation. So this is before she's won Melfest. This is before she's representing Sweden. And there were so many questions I wanted to ask her, including why now was the right time for her to return to Eurovision, 11 years after she'd won previously, of course, with Euphoria. You can go back and have a listen to this in full, of course, but here's just some of what me and Lorene said to each other when we caught up in late February. Do I feel pressure? Um, no, because I feel like my way of thinking is like everything has its time and Euphoria was perfect for that time and now things have happened, life and everything. And So this is like a new chapter in many ways. Um, so with that said, uh, I don't feel pressure of winning. That's not really important to me, even though uh, it sounds crazy, but it really isn't. The most important thing is for me is not to compromise on my performance and my creativity, you know, to, you know, to have, because uh, I do have a vision and I have an idea of what I want to do. And uh, the most important thing is to, to not compromise. So that, you know, and, um, Totally stay true to ourselves. So that, that if we look at pressure, then the pressure is within that. Like I feel pressure to keep it, you know, according to my heart, and you know, and I get too influenced by things around me. That's so. That's where the pressure is at. You know, Lorraine, Naturally, I want to spend so much time trying to find out about your song that people are going to hear in Melfest this year, and you're going to tell me there's not a lot you can tell me, but we'll get to that shortly. Lorraine, it's a, it's eleven years since euphoria 11 years can you believe it's 11 years time has moved so fast so the answer to that is no it just felt like it was yesterday like it, it's crazy how fast time is moving and it's also because um so the song it's it's always there in everything that i do like if i perform it's there and like you know it's like so yeah um, no, I can't believe it's 11 years, but it's been 11 years, so, <laughs> but it feels a bit surreal, to be honest, like, yeah, yeah, but time is really moving fast, I don't know if it's an age thing or whatever it is, <laughs> L- Lorene, I was reading about, before you competed in Melody Festival and in Eurovision, is it right that you, you didn't have a TV, you didn't know much about Mello or Eurovision at all? That's right. The thing is, many people don't know that that the years before, um, actually, my heart is diffusing me, but also Euphoria. I lived, I basically lived a very simple life, purposely, you know, and so and call, let's call it a spiritual hippie type of life, you know. So you can really see that in the performance of Euphoria, being barefoot and everything. It was just a reflection of the time that of that era in my life. So, no, I did not have a television. I did not know about Eurovision or the Melody Festival. Like, seriously. And still today, I don't know anything about the rules. That's true. So, when I won in, in Baku, I didn't understand that I had one. I thought, because I whispered to Trista Bjorkman, my, my main man. So, and I was like, so, are people going to vote now or you know so uh, you know and he was like are you crazy you just won get up on stage i'm like oh my god <laughs> and so still today i'm not so interested in the rules and stuff like that but I, the only interest i have is as a creator is to create something that makes me feel something and makes you feel something that's my main focus 
Queen Lorene there making her debut here on the Euro trip. Of course, we spoke to her again, didn't we, on the on the turquoise carpet? And thanks to the uh, three quarters of a million of you who watched uh, the the TikTok interview um, that we put up uh, at Eurotrip Podcast. If you're not already following us there, do we think that people only watched it because Lorene does touch your face at the end? <laughs> I did see one comment. Because I don't know if you noticed this. She didn't have her nails on that day on the turquoise carpet, but she had. I don't know if it was like if it's permanent tattoos or if it was ink on her fingers, like all over. Go back and watch it. And then she grabs my brand new white jumper. And there was a moment during the interview I was thinking that better not rub off on my favorite <laughs> new jumper. <laughs> the idea of you and Lorene having a full scale row on the turquoise carpet <laughs> is is a. It's a shame that we didn't get that. I would have enjoyed to see it. That was a big highlight of mine, the turquoise car, but I, I, I couldn't pick a favourite part of, of that day to, to choose as one of my favourites. So you can go back and listen to that full episode. It was our first episode live from Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. But uh, instead of taking you to Liverpool, let me take you to Prague. Now, this is when Rob and I had the honour of co-hosting ESCZ. That's uh, Czechia's national selection for the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, it came a little bit out of the blue for us. We were very, very honoured to watch. We were very, very honoured to be asked to take part in that. I say take part. I mean, present it. We weren't on stage <laughs> performing. You know what I mean. Uh, we had a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable time out there, uh, co-hosting in the green room, chatting to the artists and just soaking up the atmosphere because there was a huge buzz there. But one of our favourite conversations, it has to be said, was with the one and only We Are Dommy. Yes, we caught up with them again, didn't we, Rob? Yeah, so you may remember around this time last year and throughout the 2022 Eurovision season, we were lucky enough to kind of follow We Are Domi's journey to Turin. We had our Domi diary and they caught up with us every single month, letting us know what they were up to, what preparations were happening and what was going on. Well, we hadn't spoken to them at this point for a little while because, you know, we, we thought we'll give them a bit of a break from us here on the Eurotrip podcast. <laughs> their, their Eurovision journey is, is kind of over. But they're, of course, still part of the Eurovision family and still got the Czech Republic at, and still got the Czech Republic as they were at the time at Eurovision, a place in the grand final in 2022. So something to be hugely proud of back then. Yeah, absolutely. So I just thought we'd share a little moment of us catching up back in January this year. So here's what happened when we caught up with We Are Dummy. Go on, introduce yourself, see if they recognise the voice. I'll start with person number one. Hello, my name is... Person number two. Hello, my name is... <laughs> person number three. All right, my name is... <laughs> what is your name? Go on. Well, I guess. <laughs> it's We Are Dommy. You could tell, especially two of them, at least. Uh, we've just seen ESCZ 2023. First questions first. What did you think of the show? <laughs> They're going to be like, who was your favourite? Who's going to win? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why are you doing this? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Don't worry. Sorry, what was your question? Then I panicked. What did you think of the show? <laughs> oh, uh, great. But I mean... I already know how like the team works, uh, the Czech team. So I knew that they would pull off a good show. So I knew it was gonna be like high quality stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, now it's just like down to the viewers to make a decision. But I, I think it was good. I think it has a lot of great songs. So yeah, great. Mm. For some reason, it was. It seems so much more relaxing this year than last year. <laughs> was it stressful for you last year? Oh yeah, super stressful. <laughs> So it's probably just because you're not an artist this year. That's why it was like stress-free for you. Ah, I didn't think about that. Of course. <laughs> uh, we've got to talk about some of your plans for 2023. We've got a single coming out very soon. When's it out? Okay, in two days on Friday, you can hear uh, our 
first single from our upcoming debut EP. And the single is called Paradise, and it's a song that means a lot to us. We, we all cried a bit when we wrote it, and we, yeah, it's just a really heartwarming song for, song for us, at least. And uh, it's very different from uh, Lights Off. If you only know us by Lights Off, you might get disappointed, or you might get positively <laughs> surprised. <laughs> Tell me, are people going to be disappointed? Surely not. No. I, like, like, I like the song. So, uh, uh, is this how we I, agreed on promoting the song? <laughs> like, you might be disappointed. Like, no, you won't get disappointed. Please go and listen to it in two days, and you can actually also pre-save it. It's much better than Lights Off. <laughs> what about the rest of the EP? When's that out? Ooh, seventh of April. Tommy, did you not know that? She asked me two seconds ago. Which... I get it mixed up. I get it mixed up because we have a lot of days. We have a lot of deadlines with like when we have to hand in the songs and stuff like that. So it's not that I'm not organized. It's just been a very long day, and I'm very overwhelmed today with all the wonderful music. But yeah, uh, Casper is correct. It's the 7th of April. The day before my birthday. Exactly. Sure, yes. you've got to remember it now. <laughs> uh, what about live shows? You've got a, a big live uh, gig coming up soon. Is that right? Yeah, no, so it's our first headline show in uh, Prague in our city that we live in. So uh, we're super excited about that. And... Uh, we're going to try to get some special, or we will have some special guests on stage that night, so. And that's not us, right? That's not going to be me and Rob. It's up to you guys, like. <laughs> How much you guys try? It's going, to be a, it's going to be a tailored show, so I'm sure we can get, like, a little podcast inter- interlude in there. Like, uh, no, but we will have some amazing acts, some friends of ours, and some, yeah, just friends of ours, really. And, uh, yeah, you should come and see. There's going to be loads of people listening who want to see. I'm going to ask you one more question, a question that you expected to be asked on the live show that people have been watching. What advice do you have for people who are going to be voting in ESCZ? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one, really. So d- d- just go with your gut instinct, I guess. Like, the song you like the most tonight, don't, like, listen to... I don't know. Yeah, I would say listen... Don't listen to it all week and then vote. Vote for the one you like the most tonight, because that's how it works in Eurovision, I think. Like, majority of people will be voting for what they see on the day, so... Don't overthink it, just vote for what you like. Was that your question? Sorry? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, vote with your heart. Is that what you're trying to say? No, I said gut, but yeah. heart, heart is much better. Heart, gut, head, one of the three. Uh, guys, it's been great to chat. Lovely to see you again. And uh, best of luck for the single, the EP, and the headline show. Yes, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much. And then, James, just to wrap up our look back on our highlights of 2023, it has to be for me a conversation that I had just before we headed to Liverpool. It was with two people we love hearing from here on the podcast. Lee Smithurst, head of show, he was this year for the BBC in Liverpool, and Dan Shipton, lead creative director. Both names, of course, have been involved with the BBC at Eurovision in the past, working on Sam Ryder's entry, of course, in 2022, and many other previous artists before that. But this year, they had two very important jobs, and they were both working together to decide what we were going to see on stage during the live shows in Liverpool. So we were granted this exclusive conversation on the podcast where we gave you an idea about what we could expect from those live shows in Liverpool. You weren't going to hear from them anywhere else in the run-up to the contest. And I was delighted to find out that many of the ideas that we saw on that stage eventually in Liverpool came from a rosé fueled lunch, as Lee and Dan were too happy to tell me about. I feel like it's only right that we go back to that very first rosé fueled meeting <laughs> in your office, Dan. But Dan had to leave early because I had his to leave eyes early, so I was so drunk. Um, 
<laughs> let's, let's go back there then. Let's start there. It's the only place to start. You said you start with a blank sheet of paper. What what kicks off a meeting like that? Do you both appear with, I was about to say, a ring binder, but it's not the 1990s, presume laptops with Google Docs and that sort of thing, <laughs> with ideas, and you both discuss your own individual ideas? Or how do you spark and start the creative for something as big as Eurovision? What did we do? Did we have a whiteboard on that first day? We did, we, we, uh, we did. Things down I, I what think... we wanted to do. Yeah, and also, you know, what's been done before, what do we... I, I think for us as well, what do we... We were... Um, you know, we all we know we know very much what we how we work together on the three minute shows, as in like you know what you're going to do for the delegation. But when it's something like this, what 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 inspired us? What do you love? What have you what 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 interval acts have we watched before that we absolutely love? What do we not like? What does does work? Is there anything that you know all of those things? And then start think about themes and start think about you know um, what things that have, you know, have or left a, a lasting impression on us, I guess, in the past, and how the, that might translate into what we might want to create. So it was kind of like general, like, start talking about lots of big things. And then, um, yeah, and then we went for lunch, and then we had a rosé, and then suddenly all the ideas started coming, and we're now making them. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. At Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And there we are then. The Eurotrip for the 2023 season is almost at an end. Some great memories there. I'm sure you've probably got some great memories uh, at home as well. Do get in touch and let us know at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email for any of your favourite moments. So many things that we didn't even get the chance to mention there. Some of the other brilliant guests who joined us on our Rewind series earlier in the year when we looked back at the history of the Eurovision Song Contest. We'd love to do that again next year. Also, some of the great guests who joined us on the contest and me. And, of course, James, two big names who joined us throughout the season, as well as, of course, the lovely class of 2023, uh, Andrew Cartmel, exec producer of Eurovision for the BBC this year. And, of course, a conversation I had in Liverpool with the man himself, the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest, Mr. Martin Osterdahl. Yeah, there's too many names to mention. Uh, you know, Rob, I do have the spreadsheet. I could go through every single one, but we simply don't have the time. Uh, but we've had so many great memories this year, uh, chatting to loads of people. Uh, also, our, our event in Liverpool, Sugar and Dice as well. We should mention that as well. Thank you to all of you who um, paid for a ticket to come and see us live. That was an incredible atmosphere too. Including one of the people who was there, Martin. And Martin is the man behind the One Second Song spreadsheet. So we finally got to meet him in the flesh. (laughs) Oh, honestly, it's been a great journey this year since we came back last summer with the contest and read. And we did Rewind. We did a bit of junior coverage. Oh, honestly, just this full year has been great. It's great to have done this for... What is this now, our third season here on the Eurotrip? Yeah, it's been a great ride and it couldn't have been possible, none of it, without any of you at home listening along and getting in touch too. I bring you some good news as we say goodbye, as we close the book on 2023. Miles in Cologne has got in touch, everyone, because you may remember we were unsure whether Miles in Cologne had received James's box of Eurovision tat that he won in the Eurovision sweepstake of 2021. This was two years ago. <laughs> two years ago. He got in touch on Instagram the other day with a picture of him with the box. So brilliant to hear from you, Miles. Pleased to know that you've got that tat and you've got your Jedwood stickers and whatever else was in there. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, this has been great fun. Rob as well, thanks to you for, for doing it alongside me and me for doing it alongside you. We couldn't think of anybody else better to do it with. It's been a joy, hasn't it? Thank you very much for being there with me every single Wednesday. Shout out as well to the extended team. I say that as if there's a team of thousands. There's not. I just wanted to mention your brother, Callum, of course, who joined us in Liverpool as part of our great coverage from this year's Eurovision Host City. And he also does some brilliant stuff writing up all of our exclusive news stories over on EuroTripPodcast.com. And also shout out to Sam as well, who does our brilliant artwork and graphics and makes us look as professional as we do. Because without him, we definitely wouldn't. Certainly right. But that brings us to an end. So if you've listened to one episode, if you listen to 10, or if you've listened to every single one this season... Thank you very much. We will be back with you at some point later in the year. But in the meantime, you can keep in touch with us online. We are at Eurotip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Hello at EurotipPodcast.com on the email. And you can read all of our exclusive stories on EurotipPodcast.com as well. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it is goodbye. And from me, Rob, see you soon. Goodbye. I hope that uh, we feel that Yamala sense. Yamala vibes. Yes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.